Well, I hope you've found uh, Revelation 18, and um, we are in a section of Revelation right now that details God's judgment on these particular uh, evil characters that we've seen throughout Revelation. So there's these symbolic figures um, that we've seen in Revelation introduced, uh, the dragon, who's a symbol of Satan, the beast, who is a symbol of how Satan works through uh, governments and kingdoms, uh, the false prophet, uh, who, who is a symbol of how um, Satan deceives with ideas and particularly in false religions and things like that. Uh, but then the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this symbol of the prostitute. Um, and uh, we'll talk more about, uh, about that idea in uh, the sermon today. But we've seen how these symbols, we've seen the symbols introduced. We've seen how these characters operate in the world. Um, but in these last chapters, uh, toward the end of Revelation here, uh, what we're seeing is not only um, how they operate in the world, that's kind of what the previous sections have been about, now we're seeing a portrayal of God's judgment of each of these characters. So chapters 17 and 18 record the judgment of the prostitute. Chapter 19 will record the judgment of the beast and the false prophet. And then chapter 20 will record the judgment of the dragon. And all throughout these different pictures, we're seeing kind of the, the, the final judgment from different angles. And in each of these pictures, uh, woven throughout, we're going to see God's people rejoice at this because God's people receive victory and salvation through God's judgment of his enemies. So with that, we're going to read uh, Revelation 18. It's a, a longer passage of Scripture, um, but since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Revelation 18, the Holy Spirit says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons. A haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth 
who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, and all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw, uh, they threw dust on their heads as they wept aloud and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a great stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints." And of all who have been slain on earth, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I've titled this sermon, Babylon Will Fall. Revelation 18 begins with this declaration that Babylon is fallen. Uh, chapter 17 describes this as the judgment of the great prostitute who, again, is symbolically uh, called Babylon. Danny Aiken calls this chapter a funeral song for a prostitute. Babylon is a theme that runs through the whole Bible. It starts all the way back in Genesis with the Tower of Babel, where humanity decided to reject God and make a name for themselves. From that point on, Babel and eventually Babylon represented humanity living 
independently of God. Eventually, this principle of humanity living independently of God was manifested in the historical kingdom of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Babylon was this pagan superpower that invaded and destroyed Judah, taking the Jewish people into exile. And Babylon became the home of the Jewish people for 70 years. But not only was Babylon an oppressive power that the Jews had to endure, Babylon was also a seductive culture that the Jews had to resist. So, For example, when the king of Babylon said to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, bow down to me, and everyone in the culture was bowing down to the king, these Jews had to choose to go against the grain of that culture of idolatry. Revelation was written hundreds of years after the fall of the actual Babylonian empire, but that historical event of the fall of Babylon foreshadowed what John is writing about here. Much, in fact, much of the language of Revelation 18 is actually borrowed from the Old Testament prophets who wrote about the fall of the historical Babylonian empire. And John uses that language in those prophecies because even though the historical Babylon had already fallen at this point, the principle of Babylon, humanity independent of God, was still at work in John's day. It was at work in the Roman Empire, and it's a principle that's still alive in our day and in the system of the world around us. In fact, another word for Babylon in the Bible is just the world. The world is humanity living independently of God. Consider a couple things that the Bible says about the world, or we could replace that with Babylon. James 4.4 says, friendship with the world is enmity with God, and whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 2 Peter 1.4 describes how when God calls his people to himself, he rescues us from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So the world around us is a system with values and treasures and cultures that disregard God. It's humanity living independently of God. That's Babylon. And the point of Revelation 18 is really clear. Babylon, the world as we know it, humanity living opposed to God and independently of God, all of its systems, all the structures, all the cultures, Babylon will fall. It's not going to last forever. As we read earlier in 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires. If you're a Christian, the Bible identifies you as an exile in Babylon. Just like the Jews were exiles in the historic Babylonian Empire, today the people of God as Christians are exiles in modern-day Babylon. We're waiting for that, that promised land that we sang about earlier. 
So then, as exiles in Babylon, how should we then live? Knowing Babylon will fall, knowing this world is not our home as Christians, how should we then live? Well, I see three ways that we should respond to the imminent fall of Babylon in this chapter. First of all, resist the pride of Babylon. Resist the pride of Babylon. Revelation 18 paints a bleak portrait of the great city Babylon. Revelation 18.2 describes the world or Babylon in demonic terms. Babylon is a home for demons. It's a hideout for every unclean spirit. And Babylon corrupts everyone in the world. Verse 3 says, All nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And now remember, the, the language of the prostitute and sexual immorality, this is symbolic language. It's not talking about everyone in the world literally committing sexual immorality. It's a picture of idolatry, that everyone has been unfaithful to God through worldliness. And so then another voice, in light of this bleak portrait of the great city of Babylon, the, the demonic nature of Babylon, the corrupting nature of Babylon, that the universal uh, corruption and immorality within Babylon, this other voice in verse 4 comes from heaven and says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Now, this is the message to God's people living in Babylon. Come out. Come out of Babylon. And and notice the reasoning in verse 4. The reason why we as God's people are called to come out of Babylon is because if you join in the sin of Babylon, you will receive the judgment of Babylon. If you join in the sin of Babylon, you will receive the judgment of Babylon. Well, then what is that sin of Babylon? Well, the heart of the sin of Babylon is that this prostitute has glorified herself. Just like the ancient people of Babel said, let us make a name for ourselves, so Babylon continues to glorify herself. Babylon continues to boast. Look at the boast of verse 7. Babylon says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning. I shall never see. This prostitute says, I'll never experience loss. I'll never lose ground. I'm never going to grieve. It's always going to be joy and celebration and luxury and wealth for me. The sin of Babylon simply is pride. Then what about the judgment of Babylon? The heavenly voice calls on God to give Babylon what she deserves and God has taken note of every single one of Babylon's sins. No one will go unpunished. Because of Babylon's boasting about her immorality, verse 8 describes her fate. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Death 
mourning, famine, the great city will burn. Though her boasting is great, the God who judges her is even greater. So in light of the sin of Babylon and the judgment of Babylon, let us come back to that call to God's people to come out of Babylon. Come out of her. Again, because if you join in the sin of Babylon, you will receive the judgment of Babylon. This pride of Babylon, again, is this boast, I can glorify myself and never experience consequences. Can I warn you that the temptation for Christians living in Babylon is to think, I can take part in the sins of Babylon without taking part of the judgment of Babylon. We need to understand this truth of the gospel, that Jesus does not save us from judgment upon sin, without also saving us from sin itself. God does not save us simply from the consequences of sin or the punishment of sin without also saving us from sin itself. The angel told Joseph that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Paul told Titus that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Peter said Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus doesn't just save us from the judgment upon sin or the penalty of sin. He saves us from sin itself. Jesus doesn't just keep the cancer from killing us. He heals us from the cancer itself. So our faith in Jesus then must be marked by repentance. Genuine, saving faith is always marked by repentance. Saving faith does not say, Jesus, thank you for getting me off the hook from the hell my sin deserves. I'm just going to go back to living my unchanged worldly life now. That's not genuine saving faith saving faith says jesus i hate my sin and i can't save myself from it so rescue me from my sin by your grace and transform me to be holy like you so i wonder how how do you need to resist the pride of babylon today how do you need to resist the pride of babylon Maybe you don't necessarily claim to be a Christian, uh, but you're just trying to live life, doing what you want to do, and your life kind of echoes the boast of the prostitute, this idea of mourning, I shall never see, or grief, I shall never see, it's all going to keep on going well, and I'm not going to have any consequences for it. If that's you, you need to understand that God's judgment is coming upon all sin. Babylon will fall. God is going to judge all sin, including yours. Your sins will catch up to you. You don't have forever. 
But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died to save you from your sins and from the judgment that they deserve. He can rescue you from your sins. He can rescue you from judgment. He can give you new life in Him forever. For you, resisting the pride of Babylon looks like this. Humble yourself. Admit that you have sinned against God. Trust in Jesus to save you and forgive you from your sins. And leave behind Queen Babylon to bow the knee instead to King Jesus. But maybe you do claim to be a Christian, but you're using the grace of God as a license to live like Babylon. Your life looks just like the rest of the world, but you walk an aisle, you go to church, so you think you can just keep on living however you want to live with no consequences. You need to understand, again, that God does not save us from the judgment against sin without also saving us from sin itself. Those who take part in the sins of Babylon will share in the judgment of Babylon. But God, in His grace and kindness, has sent you the warning of Revelation 18. Come out! Come out of her, my people. And for you, resisting the pride of Babylon looks just the same. Humble yourself. Admit that you've sinned against God. Trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. And leave behind Queen Babylon to bow the knee to King Jesus. Resist the pride of Babylon. Second response to the fall of Babylon, reject the loves of Babylon. We must not only resist the pride of Babylon, we must reject the loves of Babylon. As the funeral for the prostitute continues, three of the prostitute's lovers share their eulogies. The first eulogy comes from the kings of the earth. These earthly rulers shared in Babylon's luxurious living. And so, when they see the great city uh, going up in flames, they weep and wail. Now, they don't get too close because they don't want to get burned up themselves, although they'll get their due at the end of Revelation 19. Uh, But these kings cry out for this great, mighty city that they had luxury in, and they mourn over her judgment. The second eulogy comes from the merchants of the earth, and they stand far off too, so they don't get burned with the great city. They weep and they mourn because the great city was where they made their money. Now that the city is burning, no one's buying their stuff anymore. And as we think about the the evil of Babylon, we should understand that buying and selling isn't wrong in and of itself. However, 1 Timothy 6.10 does teach that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. When making money is ultimate, any number of evils are sure to follow. And it's clear for these merchants that money is ultimate 
Money is what they love most. Money is what they are grieving, and their pursuit of money clearly was evil. We can see that in that their cargo includes even slaves, human souls. They love money so much, they treat humans made in the image of God as if they were mere property. So these merchants mourn, according to verse 17, because all this wealth has been laid waste. All those jobs, all those products, all those opportunities to become rich. What a shame. The final eulogy comes from the shipmasters and sailors. They're the ones who made money transporting all those goods that the merchants uh, made money selling. And they too stand far off and mourn. They watch Babylon burn and cry out in verse 18, what city was like the great city? Just think of all the money we made in that city. There's never been a city like that. Now it's gone. What a shame. This symbolic portrait of the prostitute, the great city Babylon, teaches us a lot about the reality of the world around us. Part of what the prostitute Babylon represents is the evil and corruption in worldly power and worldly commerce and worldly industry. When we hear prostitute and Babylon, we need to think economies and markets and cultures. We need to think Wall Street, Madison Avenue, Silicon Valley, Hollywood Boulevard. And we need to think then about what the implications of that are if we are called to come out of Babylon. Now, some Christians see the evil in these different sectors of the world, and they try to come out of Babylon by boycotting. Oh, you know, that company promotes wickedness, or that product is tied to unethical practices, so I'm just not going to give them my business. So is is that what we need to do then? Does that get us out? Does that get us out of Babylon? I hate to break it to you, but that won't get you out of Babylon. Babylon runs too deep to get out that easily. Just think about it. You might say, well, I I don't think Apple's politics are biblical, so I'm going to ditch my iPhone. When do what? Switch to Android, made by Google, who has the same politics as Apple? oh, I I don't want to support Disney's agenda, so we're not going to go to Disney World. We're going to go to Universal Studios. You mean the studio that brought you Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, you know, Target sells LGBT pride products, so I'm going to shop at Walmart. Why? So you can get the same pride products at a lower price? Boycotting will not get you out of Babylon. Babylon runs too deep. If you dig deep enough, you will find that every dollar in your wallet has been tainted by Babylon. You can't get out that way enough to ever fully get out of Babylon. But but even more importantly, that's just not what come out of Babylon means. 
We're not being unfaithful to Christ when we buy and sell and do business in the world, at least not inherently, not intrinsically. In fact, Jesus said this rather provocative statement in Luke 16, 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. So coming out of Babylon, we need to understand, has much less to do with how our money changes hands and much more to do with what captivates your heart. You know, the mourning and grief of these kings and these merchants and sailors is really revealing. But what is revealed is not simply what they did with their time or money. What's revealed is what they loved most in their hearts. And if you want to find out how much you love something, just notice how you respond when it's taken away or threatened. We can't escape the market of Babylon. But we can guard against falling in love with the things of this world. We read, uh, excuse me, we, we read in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, the beginning of the service, these words, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's not always wrong to partake in the experiences and the material things of Babylon, but we must guard against loving these things more than we love the things of God or loving them so much that we can't live without them. It's not always wrong to engage in the entertainment and culture of Babylon, but we must guard against being more captivated by the beauty of Babylon than by the beauty of Christ. It's okay to succeed at your career, but we must guard against valuing worldly achievement more than faithfulness to Christ. Coming out of Babylon means not giving our hearts to a city that will burn with the fire of God's wrath. Reject the loves of Babylon. So we need to resist the pride of Babylon. We need to reject the loves of Babylon. And then third response, rejoice in the judgment of Babylon. Rejoice in the judgment of Babylon. Revelation 18 shows us a heavenly perspective in the beginning and an earthly perspective in the middle, and then it returns to a heavenly perspective at the end of the chapter. Verse 20 calls for heavenly rejoicing. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So heaven is called to rejoice because God has judged Babylon, the saints and apostles and prophets, all the people of God are called to rejoice over judgment. Well, why the rejoicing? Because God's judgment against Babylon is for his people. And we'll see more about that in a minute. But in verse 21, John sees this mighty angel take a millstone and throw it into the sea. And he says, so will Babylon 
the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And if you throw a massive stone into the sea, you'll never see it again. And that is how permanent God's annihilation of this world will be. The angel uh, then goes on to describe that permanent destruction. Everything that once was a sign of life in the great city Babylon is going to be gone. No more concerts, no more construction, no more weddings, no more trade. The city and everything in it will be destroyed. And then the angel returns to why God's judgment against Babylon is for his people. Verse 24, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Because again, as much as Babylon has been a prostitute seducing God's people, so much so that God's people need to be called to come out of her, Babylon has also oppressed God's people. Just like the ancient Babylonian empire, modern day Babylon has the blood of God's people on her hands. And so God will judge Babylon to avenge the deaths of his people. This judgment in Revelation 18 is the answer to the prayer John heard back in Revelation 6, 9, and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So these saints in heaven whose blood was shed on earth were begging God to bring justice, to avenge their blood. To bring judgment. And now, in Revelation 18, these saints that longed for justice and begged for justice can rejoice because God has answered their prayer. God has judged the world that was responsible for their deaths. So, when we say rejoice in the judgment of Babylon, what does that mean? What does it mean to rejoice in the judgment of Babylon? We see it portrayed, but what does it mean for us? Well, first let's talk about what it does not mean. We need to remember that Revelation 18 is envisioning the response to a future event that hasn't yet happened. We will be rejoicing in the judgment of God then, because at that time God will carry out his purpose for that day. But today we live in a different time for which God has a different purpose. And so, first, rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon does not mean that we should hope for any person to be condemned by God. Rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon does not mean that we should hope that any person would be condemned by God. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that should be our desire for every person too. We should pray that every single person who does not know Christ would be saved from their sins. But also rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon does not mean that we should seek vengeance for ourselves now when we experience opposition for the sake of Christ. 
rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon doesn't mean that we should go try and judge Babylon. Jesus taught us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Paul said in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So that's what it does not mean. What does it mean then to rejoice in the judgment of Babylon today? Well, first, rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon means we should rejoice in God's future justice. Rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon means we should rejoice in God's future justice. Just like Romans 12, 19 says, we should leave vengeance to the wrath of God, the Revelation 18 wrath of God that will come on the last day. And and so now, today, when we see something anti-Christian in the world, anti-Christ in the world, our gut reaction shouldn't be to look for a way to make it right here and now. Our gut reaction should be to look to Jesus, who will make everything right in the end. We should rejoice in his ability to bring about justice. And we should rejoice in the promise that he will bring about justice. Rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon means we should rejoice in God's future justice and set our hope on that. But then second, rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon means we should find joy not in the city of man, but in the city of God. Rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon means we should find joy in the city of man, or excuse me, that we should not find joy in the city of man, but rather in the city of God. If it is true that Babylon is fallen, or or Babylon will fall, if it is true that God will judge Babylon, rejoicing in the judgment of Babylon at the very least means we don't tie our joys and affections to this world that will fall. Instead, we need to invest our hopes and our joys and our affections in the city of God. Hebrews 13, 14 says this, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Turn with me over a few pages to Revelation 22, 1 through 5. We'll look at this in detail in a few weeks, but for now, just look at this portrait of the city to come. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. In the city that is to come, the new Jerusalem, we will have everything we need. We will not be grasping for satisfaction in pleasures that don't last. We will have eternal joy an eternal rest that far surpasses anything that this great city Babylon around us 
has to offer. We'll be more alive then than we've ever been before. And when our hearts are longing for the city that is to come, we will look forward to the judgment of Babylon. Not because we long to see people condemned, but because the destruction of this city will pave the way for our eternal heavenly home. Rejoice in the judgment of Babylon. Until Jesus returns, Christians will live as exiles in Babylon. We'll be surrounded by the pride of Babylon. We'll be tempted by the loves of Babylon. But we must always remember the coming judgment of Babylon. Babylon will fall. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And let's seek the city that is to come. Let's pray together. Father, it is uh, it's not comfortable to hear these words of judgment, but Lord, again, we believe that these words of judgment were what you wanted to say to us today, that this is your word to us today. And so, Lord, may we receive it, may our hearts be shaped by it, May we think about the way that we live in this world differently because of what we have heard from you through your voice on these pages. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts from the boasts and pride of Babylon. Lord, that you would protect our hearts from giving our love and affection to the things of this world. And Lord, that that our hearts would be so shaped that we actually look forward to the judgment of Babylon. Lord, would we not find our home here or our hope here or our joys here or our life here? Would we find our life in Christ and his cross and his grace and his mercy, his kindness, his satisfaction, his blessings, his promises, his presence? Lord, I pray that for us it would be all about Jesus. We would invest ourselves in him. It's in his name we pray.